Well, good morning, uh, Hillcrest Covenant Church. Good to see some of you here in the building, and also hello to those of you who uh, who might be um, joining us online. We are uh, we are thankful and cognizant of all of you for for joining us at this time. So, my name is Pastor Brad Burkfalk. I'm the interim lead pastor here at Hillcrest Covenant Church, and uh, we are in a series of sermons that we just started last week called uh, the Parables of Jesus. And I got to I'm going to let you in on a little secret here that um, uh, I. Um, I don't really want to preach this sermon today. I know it sounds crazy, but occasionally we preacher types uh, work with a text and uh, revise it and think about it, we'll revise our sermon reflecting on the text and think about it, and we have this sense that God wants us to preach this, and when it gets right down to it, you kind of go, God, really? And that's, that's kind of how I'm coming into this uh, sermon this morning. That's not to suggest that it's going to be a bad sermon, but it's going to be a hard sermon. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for me to, uh, to preach this today. So um, just to warn you, there might be a little discomfort for you um, at, at, a, at a point or two with regard to this, but it's okay. We're all in this together. Um, it's just as difficult for me as it is for you to hear, so for me to preach as it is for you to hear. So um, We began this series of sermons in the parables by looking last Sunday at three distinct parables from the Gospel of Matthew. If you were with us you will recall um, each parable addressed a theme of the inestimable value of God's kingdom and what is required of a disciple who decides to seek after God's kingdom. Um, it's like a, a, tr- a buried treasure. It's like a fish that you catch in a net. Remember that? So today, we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to actually be a disciple? By considering a couple of these parables from the Gospel of Luke, and um, I'll, we'll read those when we get to, to the point in my sermon where we're going to uh, reflect on them. In the passage that we are considering today, Luke is specifically interested in com- communicating to us the cost of being a follower of Jesus. The cost. So there you, so there you see it, right? There you see why this is so difficult uh, sermon for me to preach, because who wants to... Who wants to uh, preach a hard sermon about cost, you know? Um, this is not a new idea for any of us, the idea that it costs us something to get something in return, right? This is not an unusual idea. Um, who among us doesn't compare prices at the grocery store? Uh, you know, show of hands. Do you, do you, if you find a product at the store that's more expensive than you think it should be, go to the other store brand and you purchase it there, Right? you'll drive 5, 10 miles to save 20 cents on a product. It's crazy. We all do it. I know. Um, In addition to that, in the world of business, this idea of counting the cost is often referred to as ROI, return on investment. So if a current practice or product that is not... uh, providing us or your company with good return on the investment, then it is not uncommon for a, uh, a business to, to create more efficiencies in the production capacity of that uh, thing, that widget, whatever it might be, or sometimes uh, a company will decide to eliminate that product altogether. In fact, um, I was talking with a friend earlier uh, this week, and they um, told me about Nike. You know Nike, they're the athletic uh, equipment company, athletic wear. Um, and he, he, they were in the golf business. They, were, they made clubs and balls and, 
you name it. And uh, after investing millions of dollars in it, uh, paid a lot of uh, a, a lot of money to make you know to compete in the business. In the last year or two, they just decided we're not gonna we're not gonna do that anymore. They still make clothing and and shirts and so forth, but they don't make clubs. They don't make balls. And, and that was, I suspect, although I wasn't in the room, that was a decision that they made to, uh, uh, based on some sort of return on investment. They, they counted the cost, in other words. Do you remember back in the days when we used to travel before COVID? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Well, well um, we used to price shop, I did, um, at you know, two or three of my favorite um, travel sites, right? And we would look for that airline ticket that um, would get us to our vacation or get us to the place that we needed to be in order to get the most out of our money. And we were very careful, I was very careful, to select the flights that provide us with the best flying times, right? So you don't have to get up too early or stay up too late. At the same time, have the lowest price. These are all examples of uh, what Luke is talking about in this parable about the cost of discipleship. So Jesus, he starts this this conversation about discipleship with the disciples when he turns to them and he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So are you getting a picture here of why this is such a difficult sermon for me to preach? And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow, what, what is Jesus trying to do? Is he trying to scare away any would-be disciples right from the, from the get-go? If you want to clear a room quickly, then, then uh, the next time you begin a conversation, try something like what Jesus just did. Or, or better yet, say, hi, I'm Brad, I've got COVID. Room will clear. I'm, I'm positive. What could he mean by this? This hard word. I think at the heart of Jesus' concern is not that families need to hate each other first in order to be true followers of Jesus, but Jesus is trying to frame, if you will, discipleship then and now as a whole life pursuit. He's trying to frame discipleship as a whole life pursuit pursuit. Uh, This whole life discipleship is the only kind of discipleship there is as far as Jesus is concerned. You have to remember that for many of Jesus' listeners in this uh, story, this is the first time that they're hearing Jesus talk about this strange concept of discipleship. They have no idea what he's talking about. And I suspect that there were even uh, more than a few who heard this hard word from Jesus and thought to themselves, this is a bridge too far. I don't know what this guy's talking about. I'm not going there. What, hate my, my family? What, what is he talking about? Now stay with me for a moment as we unpack this, the meaning of this whole life discipleship that I think that these parables uh, point us towards. You see, all of us... Um, we all lead busy lives, right? We, we, we're trying to make a living the best that we can. We're homeschooling our kids right now while at the same time we're trying to, you know, get online and do our own job, whatever that might be. Um, then after that, of course, we have to cart our kids to the next activity. Uh, we have to perform for our employers so they don't think that we're, we're lazy and not, not uh, as committed to the work that we were when we were actually there at the office. And the list goes on and on and on and on, right? Right? 
And in the midst of all these important commitments in our lives, we must make daily decisions on how each of these commitments are going to line up in the course of our day. Now, some of you are list keepers, so you every morning write out exactly what you need to do that day with a little uh, box next to it so you can check those boxes. And I, uh, my wife is like that, and I love her, but I would never do that. Um, but, but that's the way we organize our lives, around all of these things that we do. But when Jesus is using this stark language about hating our families, what he's doing is he is making a contrast between what he knows to be true about human nature and what it's going to take to create a spiritual movement that will ultimately change, change the world. I mean, you, you got to remember, Jesus is trying to pull together a, a, a ragtag bunch of followers, disciples, who are, because of this gospel, this kingdom message, are going to change the world. How do you do that with somebody who, who, who doesn't understand the cost of discipleship? It's very difficult. There's a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who uh, has written a classic book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And he restates what I think Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage in his book like this. Cheap grace is, pre which is of course the opposite of costly discipleship, right? Cheap grace. Cheap grace is, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, grace, cheap grace is a grace without discipleship, he says. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. This costly discipleship that Jesus describes is not something that Jesus himself was unfamiliar with. He reminds us of this at the very end of this uh, section, this parable, when he says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This whole life discipleship that Jesus is inviting us to live is a, is a life that is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. And this discipleship Jesus is inviting us to is a, a discipleship that requires each of us to consider the, this cost for us prior to adding Jesus to this long list of other commitments that we have already. It's not, it's not all these commitments and Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to be my disciple, it's going to influence and affect every aspect of your life. So after this rather... <laughs> stark introduction to this hard uh, parable, Jesus paints a picture of what it actually costs by giving us a couple of illustrations. And he says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. If you want to be a disciple, then first thing we must do is calculate the cost. 
It's similar to the builder who wants to build a structure and then runs out of money before the job's finished. When, when Roxy and I were in our 20s, um, in order to get into the housing market in the Boston area at the time, um, we, uh, I had this great idea. I said, hey, hon, um, I'll, 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 build the, I'll build the house. Not that I would be out there every day pounding and, and, and putting you know, the house together, but I'll, I'll be the contractor for the house, the general contractor. And so um, um, I didn't know anything about building. I mean, I, I had taken wood shop in high school, so I, I knew stuff, to, I could fix things, but I had no idea about you know, the process of building. And um, this, this turned out to be really hard, <laughs> a, lot, a lot harder than I thought. And one of the things that I had to do really early on in the process was uh, I had to sit down with a local uh, lumber yard representative and, with my blueprints and with a project list of, of supplies that I need in order to calculate the cost of the materials that I would need and establish sort of a delivery schedule so that when I needed uh, this material, it would be there, and when I needed this material over here, it would show up in time for, for the... Uh, the, the contractors to use it. Now, th this is very different because it's not like you're working around the house on the weekend and all of a sudden you go, oh, I, I'm short. I need, a, I need another two-by-four. So you jump in your car, you drive down to Home Depot or Lowe's, and you pick up that two-by-four. It's not like that. If, if you don't have the, the materials delivered in the right amounts, um, your work persons can sit there half a day waiting for the materials to be delivered, which of course is money that's going straight out the door. In a similar way, what I think Jesus is saying in this parable to us is that those of us who desire to follow him uh, should not be short-sighted in our pursuit of God's kingdom. Consider the implications of discipleship uh, may mean for you uh, actually sitting down and calculating the cost before you actually jump on the bandwagon. Or as Bonhoeffer might put it, um, don't cheapen God's grace to fit discipleship into your way of living, whatever that might be. You see, because when we do that, it's no longer Christian discipleship, it's something else. I find Jesus' last statement in this uh, section uh, instructive for us as well. Everyone who sees it, that is our unfinished project, will ridicule us saying, this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. Our lack of foresight doesn't have any impact on the nature of discipleship. That'll still go on with people who get it. Um, it doesn't have any impact on God's reputation. Our lack of foresight, our inability to count the cost, ultimately reflects poorly on who? Us. Yeah, us. So if you want to be a disciple, then don't be afraid to take a closer look before you sign on the dotted line. Don't be afraid to check under the hood to make sure you understand all of the expectations of following Jesus before you run headlong into something that, you don't, that you're not prepared for. I, I think that one of the reasons why followers of Jesus crash and burn when it comes to their faith commitment, you know, they, they're, um, they're following Jesus at one moment and then all of a sudden they just sort of, 
explode right before your eyes and, and are following everything else except Jesus. I think one of the reasons why that happens is because um, that, that, that experience of conversion that they may have had at one point seemed like a good idea at the time, right? following Jesus seemed like a great idea. The, the spiritual fervor of the moment compelled them to raise their hand at that evangelistic rally. And, uh, I, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything bad about that, but I, I am suggesting that But when push comes to shove, when life gets hard, when being a disciple of Jesus costs us something, lucky charm faith doesn't work anymore. So the next parable that uh, Jesus tells us in this text continues on the theme of costly discipleship. But if the first parable uh, likens Christian discipleship to a, a person embarking on a construction project and emphasizes the importance of calculating the cost before we begin the build, the second parable describes the potential cost of choosing not to follow Jesus. Sort of the other side of the coin, right? Listen to this. Or suppose a king who's about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything that you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus asks, if a king is about to go to war, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able to oppose the one who's coming against him with an army twice his size? Well, of course he will. Now, I'm, I, I'm not a military strategist, but I understand this, that going to war is always a calculated risk. And when the risk is too high or the potential loss is too significant, then one has to reconsider whether it's worth it to engage in a conflict that you cannot win, right? Choosing to follow Jesus is also a calculated risk. It's not a one and done kind of deal. It's not simply inviting Jesus into our hearts to secure our future and, and, then, and then moving on to the next thing. It's not like that. When we choose to follow Jesus, Jesus bids us to come and die. Jesus invites us to suffer and sacrifice. See, that's why this is a hard sermon. Jesus calls us to practice a level of generosity of heart and commitment to his kingdom that is not common in our culture. Even in church culture, it's not common. I think one of the ways that the church has sort of conveniently sidestepped the, these challenging parables, aside from ignoring them, I think that's the first way, but it's by creating sort of two categories of discipleship. One level or one category of discipleship for those who are really serious, like, you know, those, that would be uh, uh, the serious disciples will often end up in vocations like uh, pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers, right? They're, th those people are serious. The serious disciples are free, of course, to pursue their discipleship with all of the conviction and intention that they please as long as they don't require everyone else to be as serious as they are. I remember once uh, when I was a young pastor, someone came up to me and said, you know, Brad, sometimes you are, um, you are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. 
okay. I guess that at that point qualified me in this serious category. The second category of Christian discipleship is for all the rest of us. The second kind of discipleship acknowledges that Jesus is Lord of our lives and is dedicated to the values of God's kingdom. But, but beyond that, we are free to engage in all of the other aspects of our lives um, just like everyone else. You see, this idea of there being serious disciples and ordinary disciples has no basis of understanding in Jesus' parables or of the gospel for that matter. For Jesus, discipleship is an all-of-life proposition. One is either a follower of Jesus or one is not. There are no halfway disciples. And this is where the rub comes. I mean, if you think about it, this is, the, this is the nut. This is the hard nut to swallow in this text because if that's true, if there are no half-hearted disciples, you either are a disciple or you're not, then, then what do we do with the people in our lives who we love who maybe had a really hot beginning in their faith and right now they're not living very close to God or to the church at all? It, couldn't, couldn't there be a place for them? If we could just lower the standard of discipleship a little, maybe the bar would be low enough for them to, to return. Could we do that? So what do we do with these challenging parables? How, how do these parables shape our experience and understanding of Christian discipleship? Do we, do we just push them aside and go on our merry way with all the other parts of the gospel that we like and we only read the parables that really make us feel good? I mean, you can do that if you want. Or is there some way that these difficult parables that I'm talking about today can begin to sort of uh, find their way into that deeper place in our Christian experience and, ch and challenge us a little bit? Even, even if we've been followers of Jesus for our whole lives. I need to be challenged as much now in my faith to, to go deeper and further as I did when I started this thing out. Well, let me attempt to offer you a couple of ideas how we can understand Jesus' notion of costly discipleship. This is kind of what you can take home with you if you want. <clears throat> First of all, Christian discipleship should Make sure you get that. Should feel uncomfortable from time to time. It's okay. It's not all just happy stuff. Counting the cost is, is what it means to follow Jesus, and it has everything to do, as I've already said, with suffering and with sacrifice. It is not always a bowl of cherries. Faith in Jesus, worth the name by necessity means discipleship with all of its consequences and not just the ones that we choose. Christian discipleship should feel uncomfortable from time to time. Two, Christian discipleship requires determination and effort. Yeah, Brad, tell, tell me something that I don't already know. But it's true. Christian discipleship requires determination, a level of determination, I think, that, that we don't have to exercise in any other aspect of our lives. Maybe in our marriage. Maybe that's as close as we, we get. 
While there are certainly moments of great joy for those who follow Jesus, and there are many, there are many more moments where discipleship comes in direct conflict with the choices that we've made and the shape of our lives, and it is our responsibility to wrestle with that reality, right? Here is what discipleship should cost me, and here's what it actually costs me. It's not a bad thing from time to time to sort of to wrestle with that disparity. And when necessary, I think it's good for us to, to recommit ourselves and redirect our focus on Jesus from all of the other life pursuits that, we, that, that occupy our time and attention. And, it, and it's crazy. There's so many of them. Just imagine if for a moment following Jesus was just happy all the time. What kind of faith might that be? We would quickly grow bored, I, I would, and, and we'd move on to other ways of distracting ourselves. There's something profound about a gospel that requires something of us. Are you catching this? Christian discipleship requires determination and effort. Third and finally, Christian discipleship is learning to live and love like Jesus. It's learning to live and love like Jesus. This is harder than it looks. The pressure points of discipleship often arise when we least expect it, right? The conviction of God's spirit that we should do something about that sin that entangles us. Or, or be more generous with our resources, never comes at a convenient time. Yet to follow Jesus is to throw ourselves headlong into the arms of Jesus and be willing to allow the Spirit of God to shape us at our, our most deepest level. And even though we might get tripped up along the way, even though there may be a disparity between the, the real cost of discipleship and the place that we currently find ourselves, we will, as we learn to love and live like Jesus, we will eventually discover that over time that the life that we lead and the love that we embody looks more and more like Jesus day by day by day. That's, that's how it works. So in the end, I don't want you to leave here today discouraged. And I don't want to discourage you from following Jesus because it seems too hard or too, too far from where you presently find yourself. I do, however, believe that for those who dive in, really dive into this kind of discipleship, the rewards are far greater than any other way of living. and I wouldn't trade them for a moment. I want to encourage you, those of you who are with us in the building, those of you who are watching online, I want to encourage you to give some thought, either today, maybe take a walk, or this week as you're thinking about your life and your faith. Give this some thought to what kind of disciple you might be at this moment. And be honest with yourself. There's no reason to lie, right? Give some thought what kind of disciple you might be and how willing you are to allow God's kingdom to call you to those deeper places of faith and faithfulness. And, and in the end, if we're willing to go to those places, God will begin to shape and, 
reshape our understanding and our practice of Christian discipleship. So yes, this is a very difficult text. It is a difficult parable, and, it, and it's a little hard to chew on, like a dry piece of bread, a little hard to swallow. But on the other side, I think that there is no better place that God is calling us to. I hope that you uh, experience that, that challenge today as you think about your own spiritual life.